Well, do you ever feel maybe like this? This is the end of my rope. And sometimes we feel in life that we're a little tattered. We're a little frayed around the edges. In fact, sometimes in life we feel like our world is coming unglued. We feel like we're coming apart at the seams. Well, we're entering into a new sermon series here this month entitled Unraveled. And we're going to examine some of the healing ministries of Jesus. We are going to be looking at some of these great stories where Jesus reached out and healed people. And maybe you today are in need of the touch of the master. Maybe there's a crushed dream. Maybe there are some emotional issues. Maybe there's some disease. Whatever problems you might have, friends, I want to tell you, you can come to Jesus. And in this series, we are going to look at some of these wonderful stories, these incredible moments that Jesus brings healing. Now, as you read and study the healing ministry of Jesus, you begin to realize that there is a pattern that emerges. As you turn from page after page here in the gospel, it seems like that Jesus is always responding in the same three ways. And a great example of this is the story that we have just heard here out of Mark's gospel, chapter 2, about this man who was paralyzed. And it, this all takes place in Capernaum. Now, I've been there. It's an incredible little village. And it seems to be the home base for Jesus' northern ministry here around the Sea of Galilee. And what's important about this story is not necessarily that this man comes and he's healed, but the things here that Jesus said that represents what Jesus does when he comes into our lives. People who come to Jesus for a miracle, whether it be a physical ailment, whether it be a, an emotional trauma, you can expect Jesus to kind of respond in the same way. And Mark here, he tells us that Jesus began his public ministry in Capernaum, and he begins to go about preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, and all of a sudden, people are flocking to him. In fact, he's casting out demons, he, he healed every sort of disease, and in fact, if you go back to the previous chapter here in Mark chapter 1 down in verse 32, we learn that Jesus must have healed every sick person in town. I'm telling you, people turned out in droves. People were flocking to Jesus, the Bible says, and they wanted to see what he was going to do next. They were on bated breath, everything he said. They were looking at Jesus and, and listening and watching, observing all of their friends and, and people that they knew in town that were getting healed. Now, I've never been to the Alpine Mountains, but I am told by those hikers and others who have been there that if there's a storm that begins to, to kind of brew as they're going up this, uh, this incredible mountain, as they're making their ascent, that they can actually see the hair on the back of the heads of their, uh, their fellow hikers start standing straight up. And if they have a backpack on and it's got a little metal in there, then suddenly it, they say that their, their whole backpack will begin to glow with this kind of neon blue looking light. It's the same kind of event that we hear about as we read in the ancient sailors when they would be out on the ocean, you know, and, and uh, they would uh, look up at their mast. They, their storm was coming and they could see the, the top of the ship, the mast starting to glow. 
And you know, I think that's kind of the image that we find here in Mark's gospel. Now, Mark here is an action gospel. If you like action movies, if you like action books, you want to turn to the gospel of Mark, and it's just riveting, verse to verse, page to page, chapter to chapter. And here we find this kind of electrifying, uh, you know, charged atmosphere. Lightning is imminent. Uh, in other words. And here, Jesus is preaching. He's been on a tour outside of town, and he comes back, and immediately the homes are packed. People are coming to Jesus, one after another, and people are curious what's going on. They're hanging on every word. And it's always the case, a crowd attracts a crowd. And so you can just imagine the scene here that's going on as you're reading this text. Jesus is teaching in this home, and suddenly it's packed. And it's standing room only. And these four fellas have a friend who is a, his, uh, paralyzed, it seems. And they want to get this paralyzed guy before Jesus, but they can't get in. I mean, the threshold is blocked with people. They can't even peek over the shoulders uh, of the people that are there because there's so many people pouring into this house to, to see what Jesus is going to do. And many of them need healing. And so they get creative, and they climb up on the roof of the house, the Scripture says. Now, back in that day, many of the homes would sometimes, they would have this outside staircase. And so these guys, evidently, they make their way up to the top of this house, and they start tearing the shingles off. Well, not really shingles, because back in that day, they didn't have the three-dimensional shingles like we have. They had flat roofs, and they would put these uh, timbers on there, and they would uh, layer it with branches and thistles and figs and then they would put dirt on there to kind of seal everything and they put this man on a stretcher a pallet a mat of some type and there was these four guys everybody had a corner and they were lowering him down in front of Jesus now just imagine Jesus is teaching he's talking all of these people are there and suddenly they hear the sound of digging and, and there's, there's this glimmer of light, and then dirt begins to descend, and, and twigs and things from the top. And what do you think is going on there in, in that situation? I can imagine if this is Peter's house or Peter's mother-in-law's house, uh, you know, he's thinking, who in the world is tearing my house down? And, and then you got the paralyzed guy. He's probably, don't you think, a little self-conscious? I mean, I'm being lowered here. My friends aren't going to be with me. They're up above, and I'm going to be all by myself. And what are people going to say? What is this guy Jesus going to do to me? And I'm sure there's a little apprehension here on the part of this guy. And what do you think Jesus is, is saying and thinking? I, I tell you what he says, and this is the first step that we find often here in the healing ministry of Jesus. He calms the fear. He calms the fear of this paralyzed man. Now, you find this wonderful story here in Mark's gospel. You also discover it over in the gospel of Luke chapter 5, beginning down in verse 17. You also find it in Matthew's gospel chapter 9. And listen to this, in verse 2, when the man was paralyzed and brought to Jesus, Jesus saw their faith and said to the man, Be encouraged, son. Now think of those words. Be encouraged, Notice how Jesus reacted. He didn't blow him off. He didn't get angry. He didn't say, you're interrupting my teaching. Get out of here. Beat it. No, the very first thing Jesus does is he calms this guy's fears. He gives him some encouragement. He provides some reassuring words. He's like, relax. Take heart. Cheer up. And he offers these wonderful words. Now, 
you don't have to be afraid. In other words, when you have a hurt and you come to Jesus, you know, it's kind of funny how I think back through my ministry and through life. A lot of people, when you tell them, hey, you need to come to Jesus, people get a little squirmish and they act a little funny. And oftentimes it's because they don't know how Jesus is going to react. Jesus is going to maybe ridicule me or I'm going to get blamed for something. Uh, I'm going to get this evaluation that I'm not going to like. But what we find here is always Jesus responding out of this position of grace. Jesus responding out of love. After all, uh, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. Now we know in the book of Hebrews, for example, in chapter 4, verse 15, Jesus is able to understand our weakness. The scripture says, when he lived on earth, he was tempted in every way as we are tempted and yet did not sin. You know, when you're hurting, when you have a problem, when there's an issue that's going on in your life, you have a tendency to think that nobody understands this like I do. Nobody knows what I've gone through. Nobody knows the trouble I've had, right? We, we, we tend to think like no one else knows how bad I have it. But rest assured here, Jesus does. Jesus has a good measure of understanding for he went through it as well. And in fact, Jesus understands everything that goes on in our life. We're told this repeatedly. For example, in the Psalms, if you read Psalm 139, you know that the scripture there says the Lord knows everything about you. In fact, he knows everything every thought you have and indeed the scripture goes on to say he knows what you're going to say even before you say it so when this guy was being lowered Jesus already knows what he's going through and he says that word there to his friend he says peace he says relax he says be encouraged son now what's the second thing that happens here in this story and I tell you very quickly we find out that Jesus confronts this issue he confronts your faults and your failures that's what you're going to find you're going to find peace with Jesus uh, you're going to find encouragement but then secondly you're going to find Jesus challenging you here he, he's going to confront your fault and he goes beneath the symptoms he goes below the surface right to the very issue and Jesus never beats around the bush he tells it like it is now in this man's situation since he already knew what the guy's problem was he targets the issue now in the gospel of Luke if you read the text there in Luke chapter 5 and verse 20 here Jesus said friend your sins are forgiven friend your sins are forgiven notice he says the word friend and you're like wait a minute what's going on here this guy comes for healing and Jesus said your sins are forgiven I mean I don't get it. The guy hadn't asked for forgiveness of sin. He came because of his paralysis. Now, he was a paraplegic, a quadriplegic. We really don't know, but we know he couldn't walk anywhere. We know he was tied to this mat, as it were. He, he was kind of uh, uh, dependent upon people to kind of drag him around and, and take him around, carry him wherever he went. And in those days, they didn't have wheelchairs. They didn't have these, uh, these handicap ramps. Uh, I'm sure this guy had a lot of felt need. And in ancient times, we know that the disabled were always social outcasts. I, I was at one of those places there in, uh, in Jerusalem, and this is a, a pool of sorts, and their people, they said that in ancient times, just flocked to these places, the lame and the cripple and the deaf and the leper, and, and people were just outcasts here, and there were no 
mandatory building codes. There were no handicap uh, accessible places and toilets. There was no special care centers. There were no social workers. And in general, paralytics were lonely people. These are people, friends, who are helpless and hurting. And this guy, no doubt, was desperate. And he's an invalid, maybe all of his life. And they lay him down in front of Christ. And he says, be encouraged. And the second thing he says, hey, friend, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say here, be healed. He says, your sins are forgiven. And why? Well, it's because Jesus here was going to the root of the problem. Jesus was penetrating the heart. He was below the surface. He has quickly raised the hood here and identified the issue, and he was dealing with the cause and not the effect. Now, we don't know what happened to this guy, but it was guilt that evidently was holding this guy back, and he was paralyzed by the past. And I want you to understand this. This is an important thing to know. You know, in the Palestinian area back in that day in old Palestine, it was the belief that all sickness was the result of sin. And that no sickness could be cured until the sin was forgiven. So that was kind of the background and, and the context of this day. Not all suffering, of course, is caused by personal failure. That's to be sure. I mean, there's a lot of things out there that we suffer because uh, of the faults of other people. But more often than not, we bring things onto ourselves. Uh, we commit things. We do wrong. And it's, it's because of our wrongdoing, our faults, our failures, that we suffer the consequences. I, I read recently uh, some time ago where a study was conducted about people who were in this particular hospital, and they discovered through all of their, their study and their evaluation as they were assessing all of these patients that 50% of the people that were in the hospital were people who were suffering from stress. It was stress-related illness. And, of course, we know there's guilt out there. That's the first thing. But there's also bitterness that weighs us down. I mean, guilt being what I've done to others, bitterness being what you have maybe seen others do to me. And if people could get rid of the guilt, if people could somehow dislodge the bitterness, a lot of their physical symptoms, I dare say, would probably leave in their life. Our bodies are not meant to handle guilt. Guilt is not a Christian emotion. Guilt is an emotion that really comes when you don't live the way that God wants you to live. And we're not designed to handle this guilt in our life. When this bitterness comes in and we hold bitterness against other people and it just eats away, it's a poison in our soul. It, and it really, it produces this anger. It produces, it's such a venom that is in our heart and it needs to be dealt with. And when you carry it, it's gonna show up in your body some way. I was on vacation a couple years ago and walking past one of these novelty shops and there was this crazy looking t-shirt in the window and it said, my mother was a travel agent for guilt trips. Do you know any travel agents like that, people who are sending you on a guilt trip all the time? Maybe you're on a guilt trip right now. Well, most of the world is waiting to hear these words that Jesus shared with this paralytic. Your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. Those are three precious words, friends, that we so desperately want to hear. And because they haven't heard it, 
oftentimes people look for it in a bottle or they, they, they seek it in a pill or they look for it in relationships or they go after sports. In fact, a lot of people will work so hard and long during the day so that at the end of the day they just come in and they just want to crash and go to sleep. They don't want to really uh, be confronted with how they feel and, and, and this poison in their life. You know, uh, I, I'm on Facebook some and I saw this story last year and it, it was the story, I kid you not, of a 40-year-old bag of Doritos that washed ashore in the Outer Banks. Now, the Outer Banks is a place I've been, the lighthouses. I mean, it's a wonderful place to go for vacation. I know some of you go there. You fish, and it's, it's a wonderful getaway with your family. And there was this story, the park ranger service brought it up. They found a 40-year-old bag of Doritos that washed up on shore. And, and the rangers looked at it and, and quoted there on, and on the story was they didn't really know what they were even looking at. It, it seemed odd to them. And then somebody noticed in the right corner, in the lower corner, there was a very faded, but they could tell the expiration date was 1979. Can you imagine that? And the park rangers were pointing out, they were saying, uh, you know, see here is an example. Don't throw your plastic out in the water. Don't throw your debris and your trash out there because it can survive. Now, let me say to you this. You might feel that what you have done in the past is in the past. But I want to tell you the debris of sin is still present in your life and it needs to be dealt with. And you need God's forgiveness. You need the healing of the soul. And people try anything and everything to get rid of this guilt. People do all sorts of things to try to overcome it. And part of the miracle here with this guy, as we see in the scripture, is that Jesus here perceived what his real problem was. Now, I'm sure this guy had been an invalid for a long time, and he probably had tried a lot of different cures. Uh, I mean, probably somebody would come to him and say, I tell you what your problem is, you need to exercise, you need to tone your muscles, and then you'll be able to get up and walk. Probably other people were saying, no, it's nutrition. What you need to do is take, take vitamins or you need to eat better. Other people were probably saying, no, what you need to do is try aromatherapy, try crystals or go to surgery or go to this, uh, this person or that person. They have a remedy and on and on. But Jesus looks at him and he says, uh, your sins are forgiven. And why is that here? It's because he was bound up with guilt. And I got to tell you, this is typical in our lives. We try everything else before we try God. We've got God over here, just kind of like a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall. We've got this, this hose that's behind glass, and you only break it when there's really a big trouble going on, and oftentimes you don't even, you don't even go there. You just exit the building. You just try to get out of the situation. But here we find that Jesus said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is the first recorded moment that we have in scripture where Jesus uses this. Jesus shares these words. And this is the first record of him speaking like this. And the unbreakable connection between suffering and sin here is cured. And, and, and did you know what the Bible says here? That the religious leaders hated Jesus so much they called him the friend of sinners. It, you see, in their mind, it was negative. Uh, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's just one of them, but no. Really, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus wants to come and set you free. He gives this guy encouragement, and then he penetrates right to the issue, and he says here, 
uh, that your sins are forgiven. He confronts the guy's fault. And the third thing that we find is that then Jesus challenges his faith. Now, faith clearly is on display here in this text. There was no way that they, you know, have, have gone to such extreme action, these four guys, if they did not believe in Jesus. And, and a wavering faith would have objected, would it not? But these four truly believed. And Jesus said to the paralytic here, get up, take your mat, and go home. Their faith here was persistent, was it not? Their faith here was creative. It was inventive. Uh, none of them said, well, the door's closed. Well, there's too many people here. It's just not God's will today for us to be here. They didn't give it over to the hands of a committee or, or put the guy down here to the side. No, but they went and they applied their faith and, and they went up to the top. They said, no, we got to get this guy in here because we know Jesus is going to heal our friend. This man knew if he could just get in the presence of Jesus, he would be healed. And Jesus says, rise up, pick up your mat, and go home. Jesus gives him this challenge. He'd not been able to walk, and he says, get up right now and walk, for your sins are forgiven. And he challenged the man's faith. Now, we're all familiar with the Voice of America, the VOA Park. I know many of you have been there, and I've lived in this area now about 12 years, and, and I've heard so many stories. People have, have told me about the times years ago they could hear this broadcast, and, and they know all the good it was doing. They were disseminating the information and communicating the Voice of America. However, did you know there's another VOA? And that's right. It's called the Voice of the Andes. And uh, it, it, it talks about the faith uh, here in this text. Well, let me tell you the faith. These are the first Christian uh, missionary radio station that we find, and it's down in Ecuador. And faith is at the heart of this radio station. It's HCJB, which sits smack dab at the equator at some 10,000 feet, and it broadcasts the gospel 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they say the faith is what it is, the passion of the people, these missionaries that really lifted this off of the ground, and it was their faith, this deep faith and belief that Jesus could make you whole, that Jesus is what you need to have your life changed. Friends, I say to you today, if Jesus is going to heal any area of your life, you need to come to him and you're going to find Jesus there as a friend to you. He's going to speak words of encouragement. He's going to calm your fear. And you're going to be confronted with your faults. But you're going to come before the Lord genuinely, repentantly. You're going to lay your life before God. And you're going to hear those words, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then you're going to be challenged. Now get up and go forth and serve me. Arise and go home and tell your neighbors. I trust that you today find healing in Jesus. I know, I believe that there's someone out here joining us today and they need a touch of Jesus. And I want to pray for you today. My heart hurts for you. Maybe you're on a guilt trip. Uh, maybe there's bitterness in your life. Maybe you've just been diagnosed that there, there's, there's some ailment that you have that was so unexpected. 
I believe in healing, friends, and I invite you to come to Jesus. I want to pray for you right now. Just come to Jesus. Lay your life before the Lord. So will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you today for your love toward us. And we just thank you today for those precious words you speak, that your sins are forgiven. And for the challenge you issue to all of us. And Lord, I pray today for these, my friends, that are joining us in this time of worship. I pray, God, for those that are joining us today that have got guilt in their life. There's bitterness that is harboring in their heart. There's an ailment. And I just pray right now, God, that you would just, in your precious way, as they come before you, that you would calm their nerves, that you would calm their fears. Remind them that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remind them, Lord, that you have overcome this world and that you said, let not your hearts be troubled. And I pray that those there today that have that guilt and their sin in their life, they would just surrender it to you. And that, Lord, you would as they confess today, just share with them. Let them know that assurance that all is well. May they hear those words today. My sins have been forgiven by the Lord. And Lord, may you confront all of us today with that challenge to rise up and go from here and to share the faith, to live a life that's pleasing with you. Speak to us now. Speak to these today, Lord. Provide your comfort and extend your strength. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.